Well, good morning. Uh, if you guys have your Bibles with you, why don't you open up to, uh, to Matthew 7. Uh, what Lance read this morning was the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and that last concluding verse uh, that he read of Matthew 5.20, uh, I think is, is the kind of the purpose statement of, of the Sermon on the Mount. Of how is it uh, that you enter into the kingdom of heaven? It's, it's by having a righteousness uh, that surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And the, and the scribes and Pharisees, they had, a, they had a righteousness that they would attribute to themselves. Uh, a, a self-righteousness uh, that they would achieve by works. So if you're going to enter into the kingdom, uh, you have to have a righteousness that is greater than that, uh, in essence. Uh, and as we see in the Beatitudes, it's a righteousness that comes from God, not from ourselves. Uh, and that, that's Jesus' main point in the Sermon on the Mount of you need a righteousness that comes from God, not a righteousness that comes from men. Uh, and then uh, the remainder of the sermon, he, he lays out what that righteousness looks like, what, what characterizes that type of righteousness, what characterizes a citizen of his kingdom. Uh, that's what the Sermon on the Mount uh, is about. And uh, this morning we're going to look at uh, not the beginning, but the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, like any... Uh, like any great preacher, and I think Jesus was the greatest preacher uh, of all time, he, he concludes and, and charges his audience to, to respond to the message. Uh, and what we're going to look at today is these four warnings that Jesus uh, issues at the end of his sermon uh, to uh, his disciples and to the crowds that are with the disciples following after him. Uh, and he issues these, these four warnings. Uh, and uh, we have warnings uh, everywhere around us uh, today. Uh, and usually uh, we pay attention to them, uh, like brake lights in front of you. What does that warn you to do? Uh, slow down. Yeah, stop. Uh, because people in front of you are stopping. Uh, construction signs uh, warn us that there might be men uh, and equipment in the road ahead of us. Uh, warning signs on appliances, small appliances, say you shouldn't make toast in the shower, uh, which is a good, uh, a good warning, even though you might really want toast uh, in, in the shower. Uh, it's not a good idea. Uh, other warnings uh, inform us uh, about whether or not we can put a dish in the microwave or in the dishwasher. Uh, and at other times, we see we receive verbal warnings. Uh, students, if you're in class, uh, the teacher may warn you not to do something. Uh, if you're at work, your job, uh, uh, your boss may warn you about your job performance. Uh, and if you're on the road driving too fast, uh, you may see blinking lights behind you, and a police officer may warn you uh, to slow down, if you're lucky, or you may just get a ticket. Uh, but each of these verbal warnings uh, is intended to to prevent you from wandering into uh, these negative consequences. The, the, the warnings are intended to help you uh, change your your path. Uh, whatever the trajectory that you're on, whatever it is you're doing, the warnings are intended to get you to stop doing that and begin to do something else. Uh, and as we heed these warnings from human authorities... Uh, you know, we, we do that normally, and sometimes it feels like uh, these warnings can be can be done kind of with, with animosity towards us. You may not feel love coming from that officer as he's writing that ticket uh, and, and warning you to slow down. But but ultimately, every warning is is given in love and out of concern for you. Uh, and if human authorities can can warn us out of love and concern, how much more our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, when He warns us, uh, He truly does so out of love, He truly does so out of concern, uh, and there, there's no greater warning that we should heed. There's no one we should listen to more when He gives a warning than Jesus Christ. Uh, and uh, as he, we come uh, this morning to see uh, the end of this uh, great Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is is exhorting his disciples uh, to apply everything that they've heard. And, and you can't help but read the Sermon on the Mount and just feel like you fall so short uh, of what Jesus is, is requiring and what he's asking. And, and if you feel that way, that's good because, again, you, you, can't, you can't attain to that without the grace of God, without uh, God giving you a new heart and a new mind uh, to obey him. And, and what he's going to uh, conclude his sermon, he's going to talk about a whole bunch of pairs. Uh, he, he's going to talk about two gates and two ways. He's going to talk about two trees and, and two fruits. We're going to see two confessions. And lastly, we're going to hear of two hearers and two foundations. Uh, in each of these pairs, there's one good and there's one bad. Uh, one leads to, to death and one leads to life. Uh, and thus, he's warning his disciples and the crowds that are accompanying him. 
Uh, his disciples are beginning to see who he is and, uh, and understand what he's calling them to. And the crowds are kind of along for the ride. Uh, and he's going to be teaching them concerning what decisions lay ahead of them. Uh, and so, hey, how does this apply to us today as believers in the 21st century? Well, uh, we need to be instructed and warned in the same ways, right? uh, because we can be led away to our own destruction and to our own judgment. Uh, and we are challenged by Christ even today to make the right decision to guard ourselves from these dangers uh, that we're going to see. But what are these dangers? How do we identify them? How do we uh, how should we respond when we face these dangers? That's what we're going to to look at as Jesus warns his disciples concerning four dangers that can lead them to destruction. Okay, and so let's look at uh, these verses. We're going to look at verses uh, 13 through 27 in Matthew 7. Uh, read along with me. Uh, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name? And do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So as, as we look at these, these four uh, dangers this morning that, that Jesus is warning his disciples about, the first one that we see uh, is in verses 13 and 14. Uh, the danger of... Uh, the easy path. Uh, and we're going to see Jesus describe uh, two gates and two, two pathways. Uh, and, and the gate is connected to its respective path. Uh, one leads to destruction and one leads to, to life. Uh, and also note that there's only two paths. There's not like a third option somewhere uh, that you can, uh, you know, I choose, I don't want the, the broad path or the narrow one. I'm going to go a, like a medium-shaped path. Uh, there, there's no option here. It's an either-or proposition. It's not a both-and or some kind of a combination. Uh, and we're told that, yeah, one leads to, to destruction and death and one leads to life. Uh, and there are only a few who find this narrow way that leads to, to life. And and so we have to to examine our life if we're going to figure out which path that we are on. Uh, and so he he lays out uh, these two paths. The first one is the wide gate and the broad way. And we typically uh, think of uh, a path leading up to a gate, but Jesus uh, expresses something different. He he talks about a gate that that's accompanied or followed after by a path. So you have to go through whatever gate first uh, in order to get to the path. Uh, and the wide gate is exactly that. It's, it's a gate that, that's easy to pass through. Uh, one that you might not even notice as you walk along. Uh, down in Southern California, my wife and I used to go hiking in these hills, uh, and there would be these big fire roads. And uh, you'd, be, you'd be walking along, and sometimes there would, there would be a, a gate, and you, you'd pass through it without even realizing it because uh, it, it was completely opened, uh, and it was so wide that you didn't, even, you didn't have to notice any change as you went through the gate. Suddenly you're like, oh yeah, I, I, remember, I think I remember passing through that, but I'm not quite sure because the path was so wide, you didn't have to change anything to get through that gate. 
and, and this this would be that kind of gate. It's wide. It's easy uh, to to walk through. It's it's well paved. It's accessible to to many, and there are many people traveling along that that broad path. Uh, thus, uh, in our in our human intuition, it would seem like this would be the path to be on. Hey, this is where everybody else is going. Uh, this is this is easy to to walk down. But Jesus says that this is the path that that leads to destruction. The one that everybody else is walking down. The one that 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 it's your default. You don't even notice that you're on this broad, easy path. That's the one that leads to death, destruction, and annihilation. Uh, and this is ultimately the path that that the world walks. Uh, they all walk along this path because it's, it's uh, paved uh, by uh, self-righteousness. It's paved by those like the Pharisees. It's paved by uh, those who, who uh, create their own righteousness and, and pursue uh, eternal life in their own uh, works. So that would accompany uh, pretty much every other religion except Christianity because our, our understanding of righteousness is not from our own works, but it's from what Christ has done. He lived a perfect life and died for our sin. That's the righteousness that we trust in. But the world trusts in uh, their own righteousness. And, and this, that's what accompanies this easy path. Uh, and on this path, there's no, there's no turning from sin and trusting in Christ. You just get to continue as you are, uh, which makes it easy to, to follow down. That's the, that's the first, first path. And contrasted with that is the small gate and the narrow way. Uh, and this would be... Think of it this way. This would be a gate so small, uh, you can't walk two by two through this gate. Uh, nobody can accompany you on this gate that Jesus is calling uh, all of those who want to come after him. You have to go through this, this gate. Uh, and it's almost like a, think of a turnstile at a, at a stadium uh, or a theme park. If you have to walk through, and sometimes on those turnstiles, you have, you have to kind of even walk sideways because it's so narrow. You have to turn your body. You're kind of a, an Alice in Wonderland. I mean, it's such a narrow gate. You, you may not even be able to, to take anything with you. You may have to take off that backpack or take everything out of your pockets in order to fit through this narrow gate that Jesus is speaking of here. And in fact, the word for narrow that's used here is used elsewhere to describe uh, the affliction that a believer faces in this life. First Thessalonians 3, 4, uh, For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, there's that word, uh, just as it has come to pass and just as you know. And then Second Thessalonians 1, 7, And to grant relief to you who are afflicted, as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven, with his mighty angels. What characterizes the narrow path is affliction. Uh, it's not easy to walk on this path. Uh, it, it's a difficult path to walk down. Uh, it's not broad. It's not easy. It's not well paved. Uh, you'll know that you walk through this gate uh, because you had to take things off to get through. Uh, you'll, you'll know that you made it through uh, the gate to this path because your life has to be different to, to access this road. Um, and and you remember that again, uh, kind of going back to when my wife and I would walk in those hills. Uh, sometimes uh, that big fire gate would be closed, uh, and you, and you had to kind of go off of the path into this really narrow section. Uh, and you would remember going through that because you had to you had to deviate your course, and you, suddenly you had to uh, your your path had to change, uh, and you would notice that. Uh, and so you know when you when you go through the narrow gate because you. You have to do something different. But the easy path, you just continue as you were. Uh, and that's what Jesus is calling us to, to understand now, that this is the path that every disciple of Christ must take, uh, of, of, of repentance from sin and faith in Christ, turning from uh, our old life and turning to new life in Jesus. And if you want to follow Christ, there will be some things in this life that you can't take with you through that gate. Uh, and that, that can't come with you along that narrow path, was listening to uh, The Pilgrim's Progress, uh, which is a, just a phenomenal book uh, from, by John Bunyan, written uh, in the, the, the 15 or 1600s. I'm blanking on that right now. But uh, it, it's, it's an allegory of the Christian life. And, and as he describes uh, this narrow way, he says it, it's always straight, always forward. No matter how many shoots come off of it, those are what Christian uh, in the, the main character of the book is not supposed to follow after, but the narrow path is always straight, so keep walking uh, straight. That, that's what we are called to do. And uh, one pastor has said that the narrow gate means that those who enter 
do so stripped of all they possess, and rather than adding Jesus to their accumulated treasures, salvation is the exchange of all that we are for all that he is. So, so if that's what it takes to make it through this narrow gate, if we have to leave everything else behind and forsake everything, are we willing to do that? Have we done that? Are, are we willing to enter through this, this small, narrow gate and walk this really difficult uh, path that's characterized by affliction as we follow after Christ? Are we willing to, to crawl through that gate with nothing else in this life? And are we willing to, uh, I guess, to endure the dangers ahead on that path? Uh, on, on the broad path, everyone's traveling that way. Uh, on the narrow path, there's going to be very few. Uh, and, and it's going to seem like everybody else is, is going the opposite direction. Uh, we're going to look around us and see the broad path over there. Why? Everyone's going in the opposite direction. Well, that's because, uh, again, as in Pilgrim's Progress, uh, the Christian was going to the celestial city. Uh, but everybody else is, is pursuing earthly things uh, while we should be pursuing heavenly things. Uh, and that's why this, this broad and narrow path, Jesus lays it out as the first danger uh, that, can, that can entice his disciples. Because when you're on that path that's filled and characterized with affliction, what seems really tempting? Hey, that, that path over there, yeah. Uh, here I am like crawling on my hands and knees with, with like bloody palms because of the goat heads that I'm having to, to walk through and, and make it through. But over there, it's like well paved. It's so easy and so simple. And the affliction is, is non-existent, but here it, it's heavy. Uh, it's so easy to be tempted to, to leave the narrow path that Jesus calls us to and to wander into that, that easy path. And that's why Jesus lays that out as the first danger that, that we face as disciples of Christ. We're, we're called to, to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily and follow Christ. But the temptation is to not do that, uh, is to go after our own desires uh, and follow our heart. Uh, and so Jesus warns us of this danger first. Uh, the second danger that Jesus warns us of would be the danger of false teachers. Uh, in verses 15 through 20, let's look at the, those verses again. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. See, his first instruction was to enter through the narrow gate, and his second command in this passage is to beware of false prophets, or beware of false teachers. And we see here uh, two, two trees and two fruits, uh, and the, those are connected. Uh, and, and what we have here is a, is a command of continuous action. We have to always be on guard against false teaching and false prophets uh, that we face because uh, they're, always, they're always present. Uh, and uh, Jesus describes these uh, false teachers uh, as, you know, they don't come out and announce, hey, I'm a false teacher. Uh, you should be discerning when listening to me. Uh, they disguise themselves. They, they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, and... Ultimately, anyone who claims to speak for God uh, and falsely represents him is a false prophet. Uh, anybody who, who claims uh, or misuses God's word by, by twisting or manipulating it for their own gain would be a false teacher. Uh, and there are so many in this world who would, who would use God to their own end. And in describing how dangerous these prophets are, uh, Jesus then instructs us concerning how we are to identify them. Right? Because if they are this dangerous... Like, okay, tell me how to identify that. How do I know where there's danger? And he says uh, something really simple. He opened and closes this section by saying, you shall know them by their fruits. Yeah. Uh, so we are called to be fruit inspectors. Okay. Uh, and then he gives specific examples of, hey, you don't pick grapes from thorn bushes. No, you pick them off of vines. You don't gather figs from thistles, uh, which is just a term for a really pokey, thorny plant. Uh, it's always fun to say thistle. Um, but, uh, and we could give a, a additional examples. Coconuts don't grow on banana trees and, and nor do apples on palm trees, right? We, you identify a tree by what grows on that tree of what type of fruit it has. Uh, and after giving specific examples, he, he moves to a general principle of, hey, 
good tree equals good fruit, bad tree equals bad fruit. And then he makes it abundantly clear that it's impossible for uh, a diseased tree, for a bad tree to bear good fruit or vice versa. Uh, and that's why it's of the utmost importance for us to to be able to identify the fruit because the fruit helps us to understand the root. Uh, and the, the root of the tree determines the fruit of the tree. And and he he instructs us, again, today, to be fruit examiners. We are to, to always be uh, examining those who proclaim the Word of God. And so you guys uh, need to be examining me. You need to be holding me up to uh, God's Word uh, and, and there are so many, so many false teachers in, in the world today that if we don't do this, we, we are, we will naturally be taken away and taken captive, as we saw a couple weeks ago in Colossians 2.8. Uh, we will be carried away by ideas that are contrary to Christ if we are not on our guard. Uh, take, for instance, uh, my, my own life, my own story. Um, I grew up in, uh, in a, in a house cult that would, uh, be you know it was led by uh, by a false prophet he he claimed to to speak for God, he claimed to have you know revelation from God and speak words for God uh, and my parents, uh, having grown up in the church, both of them were pastors' kids, got involved uh, you know at a Christian college, they began to attend a, a Bible study by this winsome individual, and it morphed into uh, following this man rather than following Christ rather than following god 's word. Uh, and my parents soon, I mean, they cut off all ties with their family. Uh, they began to follow this false teacher. Uh, and, and I grew up under that. And as a teenager, I began to, to see some of that. And he, as I talked about last week, that just, uh, what is, what does hypocrisy do, uh, in young men or young women? It just creates anger, provokes them to, to anger. And that was me. Uh, and ultimately, I left that group when I was 17, uh, not understanding that he was a false teacher, but thinking that is what Christianity was. Uh, and God, by God's grace, he showed me, uh, he, he turned me to his own word, and I came to know Christ through the, the ministry and proclamation of, of others and seeing Christianity on display, but, but seeing the, the devastation that that has brought in the lives of so many people. Like, and, it, and it's amazing because I, you know, I thought that, that I was the only one who had experienced something like that, and then I come to, to churches and see, man, there's, there's so many other people who have been impacted by little house cults uh, like that. Uh, and, and that's what Jesus is warning about here. See, Jesus understands the methods of Satan. And he understands that, that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And Paul uses that concept and says, hey, if Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, what will Satan's teachers do? What will they do? They, again, they don't come out and announce who they are and what they're trying to do. So we have to be fruit examiners. We have to, to, to turn to the Word. We have to know the Word. Why don't you turn over to, to Acts chapter 17 uh, with me. Uh, and if you mark in your Bibles, uh, I would encourage you to, to, to star these verses and, and understand their importance. Acts chapter 17 verses 10 through 12. See, see, Paul is going around on his, his missionary journeys uh, and proclaiming who Jesus is in the synagogues. Uh, and uh, people in, in Berea, uh, Paul comes to them and, and look at what, what happens. Verse 10 in Acts chapter 17. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. See, when, when Paul came to Berea, he, he was proclaiming, he was teaching. And what did the Bereans do? They said, okay, Paul, if you're teaching us something, it better correspond to what the Old Testament scriptures say. So if the Apostle Paul was subject to the authority of the Old Testament scriptures, how much more everybody else. Right? If, if the apostles of Christ had to submit themselves and their teaching had to align with the word of God, every teacher's uh, teaching, everything that is proclaimed from any pulpit across the world has to align with what scripture says. Every man is under the authority of the word of God. You can turn back over to, uh, to Matthew where we were. And we have to understand that 
whose authority is it or whose responsibility is it to understand and evaluate teachers? Every single individual. Uh, there's nothing you can pass to, to somebody else. Every individual is responsible for knowing and interpreting God's Word. To, to look at the Word and say, is this true or is it not? Which is a, is a heavy responsibility. And if you can't do this, what are you in danger of? Of being led astray. If you, if you don't uh, know how to come to uh, God's Word and, and be able to understand what it teaches you, it's really easy for you to be taken captive by a false teacher, to be led astray uh, by one of these who comes disguised in sheep's clothing but is really a ravenous wolf. Uh, and every pastor that you hear preach, hold them accountable to the Word. Hold me accountable. Uh, if, I, if I say something that doesn't align with Scripture, call me on it. If Bruce says something that doesn't align with Scripture, call him on it. Like We are subject to the Word of God. We don't stand in authority over it. Uh, and uh, again, if if we're not on guard, we saw this a couple weeks ago in, in Colossians 2, uh, it, we will most assuredly be taken captive. That's why Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. We must hold everyone account, uh, accountable to the word of God. Uh, and we have to be on our guard constantly because we shouldn't think uh, that we are somehow exempt from this or we don't face this danger. Because again, I just point back to uh, to my own parents. I mean, they were both pastor's kids, both grew up in the church. Uh, and so there's never this reality of, oh, I'm not going to be deceived uh, or, or I'm not going to... Uh, that, that's not for me, maybe other people. But no, anybody can be deceived. That's why we must know and understand what Christ is commanding, who he is and what he is calling us to. Uh, and and that's the, the second danger that Jesus is laying out here. And danger number one is hey, that, that easy path, that, that uh, temptation to go where everybody else is going. And danger two is uh, is following anybody who says, thus saith the Lord. Okay, we, got, we have to say, uh, what does God's word say? And does this teacher align with what God's word says? Uh, those, those are the first two dangers that Jesus lays out here. The third danger is uh, the danger of self-deception. We see that in verses 21 to 23. Let's look at those uh, again. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So in these verses, we see two confessions, one from self-deceived unbelievers and, and one from Christ. Uh, and and Jesus begins this this section with such a startling statement, it should get our attention. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And as soon as we see that, if not everybody who calls Jesus Lord will enter, that means that some are deceived and some think that they, they are following Christ when they're really not. Uh, and that reality should, should cause us to, you know, to be even more concerned and to examine our own lives because there is that reality that we can be deceived and it is always a good thing to examine our lives to see if we are in the faith. Uh, and Jesus is saying that the empty words of just saying, yeah, he's Lord, he's Lord, uh, it will not cause anybody to enter into his kingdom. But he says those who do uh, the will of his Father in heaven and the implication there is if you are doing the will of God the Father in heaven, you are also calling Christ Lord. You are also obeying him and seeing Jesus for who he is and looking to Christ rather than to yourself is what makes you a kingdom citizen. It's what saves you. It's what brings that righteousness that is greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. And on that judgment day, when when all men stand before Christ, there will be some who are self-deceived and who are shocked. They'll, they'll come to Christ thinking, hey, uh, I... Uh, I have a Savior, I have this uh, all in order, but Christ uh, is going to have a different response. And that we have two conflicting confessions, but who should we trust? Who has the right uh, 
uh, I guess, understanding of this, uh, this interaction. It, it would be Christ, not those who are uh, coming to him. And what's interesting is there's a, there's a threefold statement from those who are deceived and a threefold statement from, from Christ. Uh, those uh, who come to Jesus say, hey, uh, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name uh, and do mighty works in your name? And then it's amazing how Jesus responds to each of those, I guess, declarations from these individuals. So they say, hey, didn't we prophesy in your name? And Jesus says, I never knew you. I didn't know you. So how can, how can they be prophesying in his name when Jesus doesn't know them? It's impossible. Then they say, uh, and didn't we cast out demons? And Jesus says, no, you go from me. And Jesus is in essence casting them out where they're saying, hey, we did, we casted out demons in your name. Jesus said, no, I'm, I'm casting you out. And then thirdly, he said, didn't we do, didn't we perform miracles? And his response is, you workers of lawlessness. And so this is a, this is a sobering reality here of, uh, I know in a, Kind of a, the, the the church in America, there's kind of a, uh, an affinity uh, in some circles for you know these these great works of, of power and all of these things, but but that's not necessarily what validates somebody's ministry, as we saw in, in danger number two. What validates someone's ministry is their adherence to the word of God, not doing some some miracle or some work of power or casting out demons, because that, that's almost what characterizes those who are deceived. Right? That's what Jesus is saying here. Uh, and, and so this reality that, that you, can, you can be deceived. Imagine getting that news on the day of judgment. Imagine that. If you, you think you're, you're coming into the courtroom with an advocate and then you find that you have none. <laughs> Similar to, to a true story about a, na- a man named Mario Hernandez who thought he was a United States citizen when he was not. See, Mr. Hernandez uh, had been in the United States for almost 50 years, uh, and that whole time he believed he was a U.S. citizen because his, his parents came from Cuba uh, when he was a small child, and he just assumed that they had filled out paperwork to make him a citizen. Uh, and so even without his citizenship, he voted in every major election since Jimmy Carter uh, in 1976. Uh, in addition to, uh, to voting, he's worked for two state agencies, two federal agencies, uh, all while not being a citizen of our country. Several, several background checks overlooked that minor detail. Uh, and f- he was finally informed of his non-citizenship about uh, two years ago when he was attempting to file papers for a passport so he could go on a cruise. Uh, and uh, amazingly, this man who believed he was a U.S. citizen for 50 years wasn't. Uh, and... Uh, He'd been in the country this whole time and no one had ever told him he wasn't a citizen. Uh, he assumed that because of the actions of his parents that he would be. Uh, and, uh, but the fact remained that he, he wasn't a citizen. Uh, and uh, another little twist uh, to the story was that unknowingly he had earned his citizenship because he had fought in Vietnam. And the U.S. says if, if you uh, fight in a war for the U.S., you will earn your non-citizens can earn their citizenship. So he ended up being a citizen, but not officially yet because he didn't have all of the paperwork in. Uh, but, but the reality is that, that no such thing will happen for us. Uh, there's no loophole of thinking you have citizenship and then going uh, and then realizing you don't have citizenship and it's not going to be like, oh, but I unwittingly earned my salvation. I unwittingly did something else to earn citizenship in Christ's kingdom. That, that's an impossibility. And uh, there, we can be misinformed about where our citizenship lies. Uh, and we won't have that opportunity to change it once we're in heaven. We don't have an opportunity to respond to the gospel later on and we don't even know when if we'll be able to respond to the gospel later on in life because we don't know the number of our days. Uh, so, so we have to always ask ourselves, hey, how, how do I know that I'm in right relationship with Christ? How do I know that, that I'm not deceived? How do I know that, that I know him and he knows me? Uh, we, we must kind of have this always with us. 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul says, examine and test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. That, that is always a good thing to do. It's always good to ask that question of, hey, am I, am I following Christ? Do I really know him? That's always a good question. 
that's always something good to wrestle with. What's, what's not good is to just think you have that in the bag and I don't need to even think about that anymore. Because that's probably what these who are deceived do. They just think they have it sewn up and they don't need to put any more energy into it. Now again, if, we can wrestle with that, but we also, we, we always come back to the reality of it's not works that save us. It's not, oh, so when you look back, don't look back to, oh, I was baptized, or oh, I prayed a prayer as a child, or oh, I walked down an aisle um, at some point in time. Don't, don't look back to those things to find comfort in, in, if you're wrestling with that, do I know Christ question. What, you, what we point back to is, again, God's word. Of what does God's word say? God's word says that if you uh, believe in Jesus, uh, if you you acknowledge that you cannot save yourself, uh, that yet you are turning away from your sin and your uh, attempts to save yourself and turning to Christ alone for salvation, then you truly do know Christ. Uh, and then all of the truths of Scripture are applicable to you in terms of being adopted into God's family, being justified, being in the process of being sanctified, and then the future glorification that we have in heaven. That's what we turn back to. We turn back to the gospel and to God's word. Uh, we don't turn to things that we have done. We don't turn to works. We turn to Christ. Uh, but ultimately, we should see that we are doing the will of God the Father, and that's what we see here. Uh, elsewhere in Luke 6:46. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Uh, so there's an, so why, why call Jesus Lord and then disobey him and then go do your own thing? Uh, just, just be honest and don't call Christ Lord. Uh, so ultimately what, what we all need to do today and, and every day is search ourselves. Uh, wouldn't it be better to realize now that our citizenship isn't in heaven? Well, we can do something about it. Wouldn't it be better now uh, to realize that, hey, maybe I don't know Christ as I should. Uh, maybe maybe I, I know truths about Christ, but I haven't truly trusted in Christ. We must examine our hearts to see if we genuinely believe in Christ. And if you, if and that's where all of these warnings that Jesus uh, is laying out right now uh, in this passage kind of go together. Of, hey, if we're not feeling the afflictions uh, of that narrow path, what might that indicate? <laughs> Maybe we are self-deceived. Maybe we're, yeah, maybe if we're on this broad, easy path, just coasting along, never having to turn from sin and turning uh, to Christ in faith, maybe that means something. Maybe that should get our attention, the easiness of our path. Uh, or maybe uh, if we're not in his word, if we're not able to discern what's true and what's false, if we can't identify any false teachers uh, or understand, uh, even have a measuring stick of, hey, scriptures is that measuring stick that we need to hold everyone up to, but I don't feel comfortable uh, doing that. Maybe that means, hey, you need to dive into the Word. Maybe you need to be able to discern what God is saying so that you're not led astray. Because not everyone on YouTube uh, is, 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 there's a lot of stuff out there. We live in, a, in an age of, of media saturation. Uh, which is great because that means we have more access to great, solid biblical teaching than the world has ever had before. But in that same way, YouTube treats all comers equal. You know, Twitter treats all comers equal. Facebook, everyone. Uh, so, so not only do we have access to phenomenal teaching, but we also have access to false teaching, uh, and we need to be discerning in that. But uh, so, so we have to to search ourselves and to see, hey, is it possible that I, that I'm being deceived? Because that I can't, I can't even imagine coming to Christ on that judgment day in the future and, and getting that wrong. Thinking that I, that I have Christ as my Savior when I really don't. I mean, that would, uh, that would be, uh, un, un, unfathomable, un, unimaginable to me of the, the, the heartbreak and devastation that would be culminating in eternal destruction. Uh, and, uh, w w which leads us then to, uh, to this fourth warning uh, that's often misunderstood. Uh, our, our, the fourth danger that Jesus issues uh, in this passage is the danger of inaction. Uh, we see this in verses 24 through 27. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man 
who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So Jesus finishes the sermon uh, by speaking about two hearers and two foundations. Uh, And let's just look at it and make some observations. This first hearer, uh, he heard the words of Jesus and acted upon them. Now, the idea behind uh, the acting here is something that's habitual. It's ongoing and continual. It's not a, it's not a one-time action. It's ongoing action. Uh, and notice also that it's a, there's a future tense involved of, hey, uh, he will be like a wise man. Uh, uh, there's, there's a future reality to what we decide now. Uh, and the same thing is going to be evident with the second hearer. Uh, and so this man will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the house, uh, when it comes under the attack of this torrential downpour uh, of rain and flood waters and wind, it will stand. And the, uh, and the house didn't fall. And the implication is it didn't fall because of what it was built on. It was built upon what Christ had said. This person acted uh, upon what Christ said. Uh, and oftentimes this passage is taught uh, kind of as the the flood waters and the winds and the storms are the storms of this life. You know, like when uh, difficulties come, like if you're built upon Christ, uh, you will survive those difficulties. It's like, okay, that's, that's true, but that's not what this is saying. In the context here, uh, and everything that we've seen thus far, as Jesus lays out, you know, two paths, and he lays out true teaching and false teachers, uh, as he lays out those who were deceived uh, with what he truly evaluates, all of the, all of the, end points is not you know, difficulties in this life. It's ultimate eternal destruction. Uh, so the winds and the waves and, and the rain here is not the storms of this life, but it's, it's final judgment uh, of when you stand before Christ, will you stand or will you fall? Uh, that's what's being spoken of here, not, not trials and difficulties in this life. Uh, that's, that, that would be true elsewhere, but that's not what this is speaking about. Uh, and to build upon Christ's word is to build upon the word of God. This means that when it comes to the decisions of your life, uh, do you live by the principles found in Scripture rather than your own ideas or the ideas of others around you? Uh, to build upon Christ's word is the same as, as crawling through that, that narrow gate, uh, that small gate that we have to, uh, to crawl through and, and leave everything else be- behind. Uh, to build upon Christ's word is to, to forsake your own blueprints and to build uh, according to his blueprints. Uh, and you take up what he, his design for your life uh, and you embrace it wholeheartedly. You, you embrace it, the truth of the gospel, rather than uh, any religion of self-righteousness. Or if I can do this in my own strength or I'm going to earn salvation. Uh, one, one theologian has said that the moral of this parable is clear. His wise people prepare themselves to face the approaching storm of divine judgment by hearing and doing Jesus' words. And so that this first here is contrasted with the second here. Uh, that he has he's done the same thing. If he's he's heard the words of Jesus, uh, verse twenty six, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, uh, but he and he's chosen not to act. He's he's heard what Jesus has said and he's chosen not to act upon what he's heard. And again, there's a future tense of this person will be like a fool. Uh, that he, uh, w- when the winds came, when, when final judgment comes, he will be washed away. He will be destroyed because he is built on sand. Uh, and this would be kind of building on your own ideas, building on the ideas of the world around you. This would be the equivalent to the Disney theology of follow your heart. Uh, you know, do whatever makes you feel good, uh, and doing that will bring condemnation by Christ. That's what Jesus is saying here. And notice, Jesus doesn't say like it's. Or compare it to building on topsoil or or wood chips or you know, he chooses sand. Like there's no more unstable uh, source to build upon than sand. Like there, there's nothing that moves more and is more unstable than sand. Uh, and that's what Jesus says. That's how foolish it is to, to, to hear the words of Christ and not act upon them. Uh, when I was, uh, well, my mom had recently moved uh, to Texas back in the summer of 2015. So you ever follow the weather of where your relatives live? Uh, that's what I started to do. And I, I began to see this storm uh, in the fall of 2015. Uh, that is this slow-moving thunderstorm complex. Uh, and it's moving across the state of Texas. 
uh, and became more and more interested because it was spawning off tornadoes and these massive thunderstorms. And and you know, Texas is flat. I mean, you can drive ac- across uh, Texas and not see anything. Uh, and so floods come extremely quickly in Texas. Uh, and this slow-moving thunderstorm complex was was dropping rain at a rate of six inches per hour. Uh, I mean, it was just absolutely devastating. So I'm beginning to watch, like, hey, mom, do you, do you see this coming towards you? Uh, and what do you what do you do when six inches of rain could come in an hour? I mean, think about that. Like, how many sandbags do you need uh, when, when it could just come rushing upon you? And the flat uh, landscape leads to the, these massive floods uh, just across Texas. Uh, and, and so what can you do uh, when entire, like, cars are being swept away what what chance do you have how do you prepare for that uh, and and even though like th- there's little things that you can do to prepare for that for that kind of a torrential downpour there's nothing that you, there's only one thing that you can do to prepare for uh the final judgment the the, the storm uh of the the culminating judgment when you stand before Christ the only thing that you can do to prepare for that is turning from yourself and turning to Jesus the devastation of that storm uh, was record-breaking, uh, but it's nothing compared to what will happen when we stand before Christ. So, so again, the, the exhortation would be, you come away from this and saying, wow, now if that's what will happen in the future, and there's, a, there's, a, there's life and there's death, if there's destruction and there's survival, what are we called to do? It's, it's, it's the, the basics of the Christian life. It's whether you're already a Christian or whether you haven't yet trusted in Christ. It's always the same. Turn to Christ. Turn from yourself. Turn from your sin. Hear his words. Act upon them. Be wise rather than be foolish. Uh, and so you, you've heard the words of Christ this morning. So what are we, what are we going to do uh, in response to that? How will we respond to these warnings and, and dangers that Jesus presents? And again, he's speaking to his disciples. So these are uh, these are the dangers that we face uh, every day and will will test us. So will you choose to take the small gate and the narrow way or the, the broad gate and the, the easy path? Will you test the fruits of every teacher and pastor so that you're not led astray by false teaching? Will you allow yourself to be deceived about where you stand with Christ or will you honestly examine your own heart and your own life? Will you act upon the truths that you've heard? Uh, will you wisely build upon Christ, or will you choose to build upon your own wisdom, your own understanding of things? And maybe you want to, maybe on some of these you want to be half and half. That's usually our tendency as, as individuals, as humans. Uh, we want to give Jesus some, some parts of our life, but not all. Uh, we want to give, uh, surrender some areas. We want to kind of be on the fence, right? Uh, of, you know, uh, how much do I have to sacrifice? We kind of hedge our bets. Uh, and and C.S. Lewis uh, w- once shared this story about, about an experience that he had as a child, w- which is similar to, to this attitude of, you know, I, I don't want to go wholeheartedly in with Jesus. Uh, C.S. Lewis writes, says, When I was a child, I often had a toothache, and I knew that if I went to my mother, she would give me something which would deaden the pain for that night and let me get to sleep. But I did not go to my mother, at least not until the pain became very bad. And the reason I did not go was this. I did not doubt that she would give me the aspirin, but I knew she would also do something else. I knew that she would take me to the dentist in the morning. I could not get what I wanted out of her without getting something more, which I did not want. I wanted immediate relief from pain but I could not get it without having my teeth set permanently right. I know those dentists. I knew they started fiddling about with all sorts of other teeth which had not yet begun to ache. They would not let sleeping dogs lie. So, so many of us can have this attitude towards Christ. of If I, if I turn to Him, He'll change me. That's so true. I'll be different if I turn to Christ. He will meddle with areas of my life that I that I don't want to change, that I want to still have secluded off, and those are for me. But I, but I tell you, if if we have that mindset, then we are deceived. We we are pursuing that broad, easy way rather than the narrow path. Uh, and in essence, you are one of those who is hearing the words of Christ and refusing to act. It, if, if we go from here without turning every area of our life 
to Christ. We, we, we are embracing all of these dangers that Jesus is laying before us this morning. So, so rather, than, rather than delaying, rather than being afraid of what Jesus might do in your life if you yield everything to him, surrender to him because that is, uh, that's what is best. God never commands us to do anything except what is best. Uh, our satisfaction is to be found in Christ because he is the person who is most satisfying. Uh, our satisfaction and joy are to come from Him rather than trying to create that joy and satisfaction in pursuing uh, our heart's desires. And if we turn to Christ in faith now, we will be a new creation. Our citizenship uh, will be stamped in heaven. Uh, he will be our King and we can uh, await His return looking to Him. Uh, we can, in faith, know and understand, be assured of our citizenship being in heaven if we turn from ourselves and turn to Him. Uh, and that's not just a, a message for those who don't yet know Christ. That's an everyday event for us as believers. That's what Jesus is always calling us to. Uh, and let's let's turn to Him in prayer now. Uh, as I pray, uh, we'll have, uh, well, I guess, oh, Natasha and Bruce come back up. And uh, after I pray, there'll be just uh, about a minute of, of opportunity for you to pray in response uh, in your own uh, heart to kind of what you've heard this morning, and then we'll sing one last song uh, before being dismissed. But now let's uh, let's go to uh, our Lord and Savior in prayer together. Lord Jesus, we we thank you for your words uh, that were written down for us, and that we we had the opportunity to examine this morning. We. We thank you for these warnings because we know that they were given to us and issued forth from you in love and concern for your people and concern for your disciples. Well, we pray that you would help these, these warnings to take root in our heart, that we would understand uh, the danger inherent uh, in what we saw this morning, that we would understand what it looks like to flee from these dangers, what it looks like to turn to you continually in faith. Lord, I pray that you would help us to to endure the narrow path that you would call us to. I pray that you would help us to be discerning uh, regarding uh, everything that we hear. All those who would claim to speak for you, Lord, may we hold them up to your word. I also pray that you would give us wisdom and insight as we examine our own hearts to see uh, if we would be in the faith, if we are truly following Christ, if we have uh, been saved and if we have your righteousness rather than pursuing our own. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to act upon not only this uh, Sermon on the Mount, but everything that you have written in your word. Lord, help us to act, help us to build upon the rock of Christ. Help us to uh, forsake uh, all of uh, those things that we have built already on sand. Lord, help us to be wise uh, and to uh, reap the rewards of the wise in the future rather than reaping the rewards of the foolish and, and being swept away in the final judgment. Lord, help us to turn continually to Christ in faith and turn from our sin, trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. Lord, we love you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.